Padev, my name is Ross Asdorian, and this is Made of Armenians, a series celebrating the influential and inspirational Armenians among us. Today on the show, one of the most recognizable news reporters in the state of California, Alina Abovian. From humble beginnings in Armenia, she immigrated with her family to Glendale in 1987. Her story is one of hard work, perseverance, and vulnerability. Although her work is often seen on screen, she has been absolutely essential in the coverage of both Armenians and other communities under duress, often right on the ground in the middle of it. It's truly a pleasure and an overwhelming blessing to have an in-depth interview with my guest today, the Emmy-nominated Alina Abovian. Hello, Alina. How are you? Hello. That was such a nice introduction. I'm so <laughs> so humbled by that. Thank you. Well, it's nice one. Thank you. I think we're going to have some fun today, and I, I'd love to kind of go back to the beginning of your story. You know, most American Armenians spend a lifetime talking about going to Yerevan, but that is where your story began. So what is the effect of having our most recognizable city on your birth certificate? You know, it's a great honor for me, you know, because being an Armenian is, you know, one of the things that I consider to be the most special, you know, one of the most special things about me, um, you know, the culture and, and the way that I was brought up and my mentality and everything that, you know, that I was raised with. So to have that on my birth certificate is an honor. I take a lot of pride in being an Armenian American as much as I am an American and, you know, my future is in this country. It's, um, it's great to know that my history takes me elsewhere and I have a definitely a very special connection to Armenia. Absolutely. So of course we all start with our parents. So what are your parents' names? My mom's name is also Alina. (laughs) (laughs) As funny as that sounds, Alina with an A. Um, And my dad's name is Michael Mikhail. Wonderful. And your family immigrated prior to the escalation in Artsakh and the earthquake in 88. What do you remember about your parents' decision to leave? Both my parents come from, you know, very solid backgrounds. Both my parents have a master's degree. My mom was a chemistry teacher and my dad worked in economics. And, you know, both of them come from families that were very established in Armenia. But then um, after, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, their lives completely changed. And so to come to the United States was a really big decision for them. But it came out of desperation because they no longer saw a future for themselves or for their kids in Armenia. So, you know, my dad came to the U.S. um, and I believe it was Hollywood where he had a few friends he visited, came back and said, you know, um, you'll love it there. They have Pepsi. (laughs) And so (laughs) we just moved. We left everything and with almost nothing in our pockets, we moved to the U.S. And, you know, my story, of course, mirrors a lot of other families. Mm. So to make ends meet, your family business was both in champagne and bread making, I believe. I would imagine there were some responsibilities beyond your years when you were younger. So what was your role at a young age in the family? I was just a kid in my family at the time. You know, I remember seeing my parents struggle. Um, My parents owned a bread distribution business, which they started ground up. You know, and so I would see my dad doing the deliveries and my mom was taking the orders in the evenings, you know, so it was very much, you know, a you know, two immigrant people trying to create a business for their families, you know, for their family, for their kids. Um, My role at the time was just to do well in school and to, you know, just try to navigate through this, you know, in this new environment. Of course, for me, it wasn't a new environment. It was the only environment because I came to the U.S. when I was just one. Um, So I grew up here and this is essentially all I know. And so I think the dream for my parents and the hope for them was always for me just to have a bright future here. 
So I tried, you know, at a young age, even to kind of think in that direction. Well, I think that's very prevalent in just your studies and your interest in other cultures. I think that the importance of family and Armenian culture becomes prevalent definitely as your career progresses. But the concept of the fact that you're fluent in multiple languages, I think is very impressive. So you obviously have English, you have Armenian, which I'm guessing is from your youth, you're fluent in Russian, and you're fluent in French. So why and when did you decide to learn the latter? Well, Russian, I learned at home. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm fluent. I would say I'm very conversational because my mm. grandmother is Russian on my mom's side. Um, so I grew up listening to it and um, I picked it up and then I went to Russia a couple of times as a kid. So I, you know, it got stronger then. Um, unfortunately, you know, I wish I was better at it, but you know, that's as good as it's going to get at this point in my life. And then French, I was always just fascinated with the language and the culture. So I studied French for five years in high school. Uh, I'm sorry, for five years, four years in high school, and then in college too. Well, let's talk about your career. Now, to say that working in news is a grind is quite an understatement. I think, in my opinion, probably a news reporter has the highest discrepancy when it comes to uh, what people think and what it actually is. So what surprises you about what people think you do and what you actually do? You know, the number one question people always ask me is, do you write your own stories? And I'm just always floored by that question because, you know, my perception is, or my perception always was that news reporters do write their own stories. And we do. I mean, we're responsible for all of it, but it's amazing to me that people don't see it that way. You know, maybe it's TV, you know, makes it seem so easy. So they assume that, you know, it's just as easy as someone handing us a script. Um, and that's not the case. You know, I'm a reporter. I'm a journalist. That is our job. And so regardless of what my uh, story is, and I'm a general assignment reporter, I have to, you know, write everything, research everything, uh, ask all the questions, and then, of course, leave out what shouldn't be in the story. You know, and I do that every single day. It's a fresh assignment every single day. So it's, you know, a lot of thinking fast and turning stories and keeping in mind that it's television and you only have a few minutes. So trying to keep it relevant and interesting and understandable and simple, you know, a lot goes into it. A lot of training beforehand goes into it in order to work um, in a market like Los Angeles, which is essentially the biggest market in the country. So, you know, you're responsible for hundreds of thousands of people. So not only do you have to be factual, but you have to be entertaining and relevant and, you know, all of that. I think there is the old adage in news that uh, it's better to be right than to be first. And with the dawn of BuzzFeed and all these online outlets, I think there's a lot of pressure to be first. So how do you balance that speed with accuracy? Honestly, it isn't a pressure for me, at least not at the station that I work for. All of our producers, as well as our news directors, will all agree it's better to be right than to be first, um, 100% of the time. You know, we will actually hold a story for several hours if we're not certain about it. We will, you know, withhold certain information if we're not certain about it, because it's a big liability, and at the same time, it's your reputation. And, you know, for me, as well as for my station, our reputation is everything. So not mm -hmm. to say that we don't ever make a mistake. Of course we do. We are human at the end of the day. But large mistakes, you know, cases where it's going to be liable or you're damaging someone else's name or reputation or just, you know, putting out information that's going to be very damaging and harmful. You want to be very careful. And so I never will put my ego in front of my reputation. Hmm. Okay, well, let's shift to an unjustly short highlight of your career. I believe your first market was as a multimedia journalist in San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo, ah. um, it was a multimedia journalist position, which is 
um, you know, what all entry level reporter positions are nowadays. And so mm-hmm. the second job, the second market, which was a larger market, Fresno, it's like a 55, which is pretty, you know, pretty large, mid, mid, mid range market, I guess you could say. Um, it was only a photographer position. So yes, I did apply there as a photographer. So when you got that job, you muscled your way into also saying, I'd like to report and be on camera. Is that correct? Yes. So what did being in Fresno teach you kind of both personally and professionally um, about where you were in life? Fresno was, um, I'm not going to lie, a really interesting time in my life. First of all, it was very humbling. But at the same time, you know, I think it proved to me and to a lot of other people how hard I was willing to work in order to, you know, progress to the next step in my career. And I think I really did prove that to everyone, myself included. Um, It was very hard. I was, you know, put through very grueling environments, um, you know, some of them because we had to, and some of them because it was just, just the nature of where I was, you know, Um, but I got through it. And I think that was, I just, every day I would tell myself, if you, quit now, then what's the alternative? And I think that's what kept me going um, because I never wanted to just go back to what I had in LA. Not that it was bad, but it was contrary to what I was working toward, you know, my future and what I really wanted. And so I was happy to give up everything to move to Fresno and to, you know, work at the very bottom and then work my way up. Um, I didn't really see any other way out. Um, So when I look at Fresno, it really was a very pivotal time for me because it really you know, shaped my character and just sort of, you know, laid this foundation of who I am and who I'm going to be. And I couldn't be more thankful for that experience. Even though it was hard, I'm very thankful for it. I, I had this thing just pop into my head and and it's a sliding scale, but I'm curious, especially because it does change. It feels like year to year. Are you able to describe when, or what does hard include? Well, specifically related to Fresno, hard meant carrying around a 50 pound camera, you know, and considering I'm a female that weighs 115 pounds, it was pretty heavy for me. Um, And then also when I was a photographer, I was, you know, Fresno, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's, um, it's central California and I'm not sure about the demographics about how many thousand people, but the cities are very spread out because it's, you know, central California. And so you're driving across several counties for a certain, for one story. So sometimes I would find myself driving two hours for a single story by myself in an old minivan that I, that probably had not been washed since 1987. So, and mind (laughs) you, that minivan has been through fires and, you know, just a lot of summers and a lot of bodies and it just was not pleasant, but it was something I just tried to tune out. And, um, you know, that's what I mean by hard where, you know, just your environment is not pleasant. And at the same time, I would go to places that were not necessarily safe, you know, neighborhoods following up on a crime story, or, you know, I've gone to Yosemite to shoot fires by myself. So imagine there's no one who has my back in that moment. Anything can happen. I've shot accidents on a freeway before. And, you know, this is not abnormal. Photographers do it every single day, but photographers tend to be grown men. Um, and they're usually working with a female, I mean, with a, with a reporter with them. And so you kind of are a team in that aspect, but I was doing it by myself. And again, other male photographers do it by themselves all the time, but I think there's just a little bit of a difference, or at least for me, it felt very difficult and maybe for someone else it wouldn't be, but I think you can imagine that it wasn't, you know, a pleasant environment, but 
there was, of course, the flip side and I got to report and reporting in Fresno was a dream because I learned so much and the people that I worked with taught me a lot. So, you know, there was a give and a take every day. And I think that's what kept me going. Mm. And that's why I say the discrepancy between what people think and what's, what's truth in news reporting is it's understated at all times. So, you know, after that, or after both of those small markets, you get hired in San Diego, you get to go back South. And furthermore, you receive an Emmy nomination for your work. So what, after all of this enduring of hardship that you go through that nobody sees, what does it mean to have that kind of recognition? The Emmy was great. I remember I was so excited. Um, I was like jumping up and down because it's it's a big thing. You know, it's like being an, an actor and getting an Oscar nomination, you know, in journalism. Mm-hmm. And Emmy is one of the highest, you know, honors that you can receive. So, and it was especially important to me because this is a story that I enterprised myself. I thought of it on my own. I did all the research. I did the interviews and I did the editing as well. Um, not only the writing, but also the editing on, on you know, on the computer. When it, and that was a skill I learned that a lot of reporters don't have. So I definitely felt like I put a lot of myself into it. Um, so that story, you know, was very special to me. You know, and, and the thing is, you don't go around, you know, nowadays, I'm not thinking about stories I can do that are going to get me Emmy nominations, because that's just not how I think anymore. But back then, I really wanted something that was going to solidify me. Um, and that was it. And that really, you know, sort of gave me the confidence to think like, hey, you know, I'm not just someone who reports, but I've actually got the right skills, you know, as a writer, as a reporter. Um, and it's it was it was a great feeling. Soon after you end up in LA. The news director here in LA offers you a job, unbeknownst to you, had been watching you grow and and was very impressed by what you bring to the table. And I think that it's worth noting that to come back to your home city, your home city being a top five market and getting to work there in news is not only insanely difficult, but I, I mean, virtually impossible and rare to have. From a news coverage standpoint, what is the difference between these markets for you? Um, you know, there was a big sense of comfort because I was now reporting in a city, you know, in a county that I grew up in. So I knew how all the, you know, city names were pronounced and street names. So, it <laughs> felt, you know, I felt very comfortable in that sense because in San Diego, you're constantly worried like, oh my God, what's like the vibe of this city, you know, is, is what I'm saying relevant, you know, because you're not really sure about your surroundings. But in LA, you know, I know when I'm talking about a certain city, I know what I'm talking about because I grew up here. And so I think it gives you a sense of credibility. And I really enjoyed having that. And then also, you know, just coming home every day after work, coming home to my husband and to my family and seeing my friends on the weekend, you know, I lived without that for four years. So that was very difficult. From a news perspective, you know, LA is just a beast. It's, it's just so much is always going on all the time and keeping up with all the stories here and being, having the energy for all the stories here, it definitely was a rude awakening because I'd never worked in a market this large, you know, San Diego's a larger market. It's top 25, but San Diego's a slower city, you know? Um, Mm. And so the nature of the stories there are very different from LA. So, you know, you, you are a curator of information and I think you kind of hinted at this before, but how do you select stories? We are assigned every morning. Um, I am a general assignment reporter, which means I can cover anything any given day. And I work for the morning show, the KTLA morning show, um, which is a huge honor. I mean, they've been the number one morning show in LA for as long as I can remember. I mean, the amount of viewers and love 
that that station gets just blows my mind every single day. So it's it's really, really a huge honor to work there. Um, but as a general assignment reporter, every day I'm assigned something brand new. Um, for example, today I was doing an update on the late, latest COVID cases. You know, um, last week it was something else. So every day it's something new and it's my job to very quickly um, absorb that information and then turn it for our audience. I think that, you know, the Armenian community as a whole has quite a bit of gratitude to show for the role that you have played in covering the Artsakh protests, not in general, but from the actual streets. So I would imagine that your presence in the newsroom and your character through other stories has allowed the opportunity for those stories to be told and covered. This is a risk you've taken not only for our community, but for other marginalized communities throughout your career. What are the nuances of being a part of stories that are also deeply personal? You know, that was a really difficult time because I felt very lost. I remember when the war broke out, the most recent war, um, I came downstairs and my husband was watching something on his phone. He was reading like Armenian news. And he said, you know, there's a war about to break out between Artsakh and Azerbaijan. And so, you know, at first it's like shock, you're trying to understand. And then, you know, you're realizing how it's also affecting people here in Los Angeles, you know, my viewers, people that watch KTLA. And, you know, it was very difficult because I'm trying to understand why it's not being covered by international news outlets. I'm trying to understand why it's not being covered by national news outlets, let alone the local ones, you know, and it's just nothing is happening. And, but I, you know, and, and, I get that. I get that from someone who works in news, you know, what stories make the headlines and which stories don't. But at the same time, here I am as an Armenian American who is very frustrated with the situation. And I feel, you know, to some extent, a great responsibility to people here that watch me and support me. But yet at the same time, they can't look to me when it comes to this one story. So I wanted to do something to change that. I figured out a way, you know, the first story, for example, um, how to make it relevant. And, you know, I found, you know, all the legislation that was kind of in the works, you know, here uh, and and what certain lawmakers were trying to do to make a difference in Artsakh. And then I figured, okay, let me call the weekend producer and explain the situation to her and say, listen, what do you think if I do like a nuts and bolts story about the situation there? You know, we have protests here in L.A. We're seeing people out on the streets collecting money. It's a movement, you know, so can I ex- do a story, not just about what's happening here in LA, but about the broader picture so that viewers who are Armenian and otherwise can understand what is happening and what lawmakers here are doing or trying to do at least, because that gives it some kind of legitimacy. Cause I can't, you know, do a story where it's, he said, she said, he said, she said, we've all heard that, but that's not necessarily the case, but people also need to understand. I'm not in army. I'm not in Artsakh. I'm not seeing what's happening. So I can't give a, an honest, not honest, but I can't give an accurate report on something. Right. I would be, you know, taking information secondhand. So I just, I tried to do whatever I could to sort of personalize it to, to make it relevant. And, you know, the night that my first story aired, a lot of this was still, a lot of people, a lot of news organizations were afraid to touch this story because again, it was a, he said, she said situation. And I went on a limb where I kind of, put a lot of blame on Artsakh, which I can do, but it has to be backed by something. Mm -hmm. And so I put it out there and, you know, I was very nervous. I think I have never been that nervous about a story ever before. Um, And it aired and the response was amazing. People actually really took to it. And I think it got like 175,000 views in like the first hour on social media. 
So people really were looking for that type of honesty. And, you know, after that, it just lit something and inspired me to, to just do more and find different perspectives and try to do something, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. uh, And I mean, that's a really, really great answer. And I really appreciate, again, the, the honesty is one thing, but again, the, the word that comes to mind for me is vulnerability. And I think that giving the voice, and again, this is where I say that we have the gratitude is having that position, using that position and taking the time and effort that nobody sees to really formulate something before you put it out there uh, is, is not easy and it's very stressful. And I think that that was, was really, really courageous and really smart. Um, and so I think that, you know, when, when you have these, when you have these stories, are there parts of your own reaction that you are aware of that you try to get rid of or, or what exactly happens, you know, in your body when you're reporting on these topics, what are you hyper aware of? Um, first of all, thank you. I really, really, really do appreciate you saying that. Um, and to everyone that's ever said anything kind about my stories, you know, I really really, really do appreciate that. Um, I mean, I I remember we covered so many of these things, you know, what happens to me physically? I mean, I have to put that aside because Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, years and years of training for me to not react emotionally to stories, regardless if it's an Armenia story or if it's, you know, something else, because I have to be unbiased. I really have to. And so I do put that aside and I will go as far as I can, but I have to know when to reel it back. Um, because if I am thinking about stories from an emotional standpoint, then I'm not doing anyone, you know, any justice here. Right. And it becomes a story. It, it becomes biased and you don't want that. I want someone who is even, who has family, for example, in Azerbaijan to watch my stories and say, you know, she really has a point. This is a strong case. Not, you know, that was very emotionally compelling because we're not making movies here where, you know, it's not literature, it's news and you have to stick to the facts. And, you know, I allowed whoever I was interviewing to be the emotional aspect. I allowed, you know, testimonies coming straight from Armenia and the videos and the images and everything that we were showing about the people there to be the emotional side, not me. Hmm. Well, let's talk about your, the, the I would say, I would say, Alongside your maybe rocket of a professional career, you've been married for over a decade and you are now a mother of two. I had a really, really wonderful conversation with your husband, Nas, who describes you as regal, noble, and kind-hearted. You know, when you think about news and you think about these characteristics that juxtapose each other, my question to you is, why do you think that kindness is important regardless of the day's headlines? So uh, I've been married eight years, not over a decade, but we'll I, round up, we'll round up, we'll round up. No worries. <laughs> I just, um, you know, cause my, that's just where my head is, right. Always accuracy. So, um, I, I, I apologize if Nas, um, <laughs> where is that for you? <laughs> Kindness. Um, you know, I think it is very difficult to be kind nowadays. Um, I just, the world is a place where people are very confused. They're very hurt. They're very, lost. Um, and so I think, you know, it takes a conscious effort for most people to be kind because we all feel very, just a little drained, you know? So I, I do try to just see the best in people and, you know, at least try to present the best of myself to people as well. Um, cause what else, I mean, that's just, I don't know. Um, why not? Right. Like, um, it's, it's cruel enough as it is. Yeah. 
Why not? It's a, it's a great counter question. I think that all of this has is, is really been really, really, really nice to hear from you. And again, just kind of your perspective and the way that you've progressed is incredible. And I think that, you know, the for the people who are local that get to see you, it's quite amazing and inspirational as one of the only, if not the only active Armenian news reporter. Um, you know, it's it's inspirational from for people across all ages and places to see you succeed and um, see you do it with such courage and honor. And so I think that to kind of conclude uh, this this get to know you, I have a handful of uh, quick questions. So first off, um, what does it mean to be Armenian? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Hmm. Um, because from my perspective, I grew up here in the United States. So I know what it takes to be an Armenian American, you know, someone that's very torn between the life here and values that were instilled, you know, and sometimes you have to kind of reevaluate certain things to fit in the world we live in now. Um, but to be an Armenian, you know, I speak the language and I have values that I've grown up with and I try to instill in my own children. You know, I cook Armenian food and I appreciate Armenian art and, and music and all those things. But to really, really, really be an Armenian, I don't think that I know how to answer that question just yet. You know, I think that it takes a lifetime to really understand who you are and being an Armenian is a very large part of who I am. Um, you know, and, and we have such a complex history. We have such a tumultuous political landscape right now that it's hard for me to understand where, who we are in this world. You know, um, I know who we would, I know who I would like to be as an Armenian. I'll tell you that, you know, Mm. um, and that's, you know, someone that has a lot of courage, you know, that comes from a background of survivors. And I say this about all Armenians, not just myself, you know, and the future of Armenians, I just hope that we can always aspire to do more to create a a newer identity, I don't want to say a newer identity, but an evolved identity for ourselves, you know, because we live in a time right now that's very uncertain. Um, So I hope that we can maintain what is best about us, but yet at the same time, find a place for ourselves in this world where we are, where we find a way to just be bigger and better and more united and, you know, figure out a way to show the world what's best about us, which is our culture, our talent, um, our intellect, our history, I'm rambling, but you know, that's, no, I love it. It's a work in, this is is a a work in progress. Absolutely. So why don't I give you a little bit easier of a question? (laughs) Mind you, I did not read the questions you sent me. So I'm absolutely not prepared for this interview. That's great. Either did I, you know, I just, (laughs) well, how about this? What is your favorite word in Armenian? Janus. What does that mean? John. It means like, um, like my soul, you know, kind of like mm. John, because I say that to my kids. I say that to people all the time. John is hi, hi John. Um, I just think it's such a sweet word and it can be used with mo- in most scenarios. And it's just, you know, it's very reflective of who we are as people. We're very warm and especially when we first embrace someone. So I love mm. that. What turns you on about our heritage? How rich it is and how far back it goes. You know, I think most people don't realize, um, what an ancient civilization we are, you know, um, for the first Christian, you know, people, the first people to convert to Christianity. And, you know, we've had such a massive empire and so many, you know, really, really complex and rich history. And I think that's, I wear that with a lot of pride because not very many, many people can say that. Hmm. 
what would you like to see more of with our heritage and our Armenianness? I would like to see more people taking risks, especially you know here, you know the the diaspora here. Um, I think that we are so smart and so talented and so gifted, but oftentimes we follow the trend of what's popular um, in terms of you know careers. And I would like to see more of our youth kind of just branch out and do different things because so many do. And when they do, you really see how amazing they are, right? Um, we have so many talented Armenians all over the world. And that's because, you know, we're just naturally, I think, in my opinion, we're just very gifted people. And I just think that if we um, step out of our comfort zone more and venture out more, that I think we more and more Armenians will be more, even more successful. Mm, I love that. And you definitely lead by example with that feeling. So I appreciate that. So. Okay. <laughs> what Armenian dish do you love? Um. I love hashlama and I always say this because I, ma I make it too and I make it pretty well. Um, it's one of my favorite dishes. It's just so like savoring and I love hash. Um, <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> what is, what is hashlama? Are you, are you, you're Armenian, right? I, I am, but you know, my menu is very limited. I grew up in Florida, so it's a very limited, I was a hundred percent of the population there. <laughs> <laughs> so hashlama is, um, it's, it's almost like a osobuko. It's almost like a, uh, like a, what do you call it? Guyash for Hungarians. It's right. cooked down meat, like a stew with potatoes and some vegetables. Um, and every, you know, I think we all do it slightly differently. Um, I make it with oxtail um, or veal and it's absolutely delicious. It cooks oh, for wow. several hours. I love that. And then okay. we have hash, which is, um, it's a funny dish because it's made with the fat of pig feet. Hmm. Um, and then you you put dried up, you know, lavash in it and garlic and salt and pepper um, and lemon and you eat it with vodka. And it's like this awesome cultural dish. It's not so much like <laughs> I love the taste, but, you know, I think we, we more, most more so do it because it's just this great experience. Wow. So to recap, bread fried in pig feet fat served yeah, with, a, with, with vodka. Copy. That's that sounds like love a part. That's a party <laughs> drink. That's definitely a celebration. <laughs> uh, okay. What is your least favorite dish? Armenian dish? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't really have one. I'm, I'm a pretty big foodie. I eat most things. Wow. Um, your least favorite. Okay. Copy that. So no, no dietary restrictions. I can't think of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. No dietary restrictions. Okay. Last two. If our ancestors were still here, what would you want them to know about the future? that we're okay. Hmm. Um, you know, I think regardless of even what's happening now, um, I think Armenians always land on their feet. So I think I'd like them to know that whatever it is that they did to contribute to our DNA makeup, it worked because Armenians are very resilient and um, we find our way and not just find our way, but we find a way to prosper. So I think they, you know, I would like them to see that and to know that, you know, we did, we've done well in the world and that we'll continue to do well. Hmm. I love that. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, come right in, <laughs> I guess. No, that's, that's too easy. Uh, I don't know. Gosh, you're giving me such a tough one. And I wish I had thought about this more. Um, I guess just that sense of approval, right? I mean, if, if, if that's, 
what you're looking for, that's kind of what you believe in. I think I would just like God to say, you know, whatever you did that was not right, I understand you're only human. Whatever you did that was right, good job. And, you know, come on in. I love that. Uh, Elena, this has been so wonderful. And um, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know that the a news cycle is a hectic schedule and waking up early and um, not to mention being a mom and having a family. So thank you so much um, for your time and your efforts and your knowledge and your courage. And um, we can't wait to continue to see you grow. Thanks so much, Ross. You can follow Alina on Instagram at Alina underscore Abovian and even send her news tips if you have them in the area. My name is Ross Asdorian. Thank you so much for coming along with me on another episode of Made of Armenians. Until next time, Badiagak.